Welcome to the Reactive Digital Brief Podcast. My name is Luca Bertuzzi, your digital and media editor. This week, we take a closer look at the Digital Markets Act, DMA, which was agreed among the EU co-legislator last week. For an overview on all things digital in the EU, sign up to our free newsletter or visit the website Euractive.com. This is Euractive's Digital Brief Podcast. Today I'm joined by Andrea Schwab, the European Parliament's Rapporteur on the Digital Markets Act. Thank you, Andreas, for being with us today. Good morning. So you have been leading the uh, work on the DMA. Can you tell us, in a nutshell, what do you expect this legislation to change? Well, Luca, if you allow me, um, very often it's said that I was negotiating or I was leading Factually, um, the European Commission has made a proposal on a long-lasting uh, demand done by the European Parliament. It's true that I was the author in 2014 of a resolution of the Internal Market and Consumer Protection Committee about consumers in the digital single market, where we have been asking the Commission already at that time to consider also to break up search engines from companies if they are becoming too dominant. And then that proposal that came into the parliament in 2020 um, was coming to our committee and I became the rapporteur. And we did the normal legislative procedure. So there was a vote in the committee with thousands of amendments. Then there was a vote in the plenary, which gave a very strong mandate to me as rapporteur to speak to council and commission in a, a trialogue to assess as to whether we can close the legislation process already by an agreement informally before going to a uh, second reading. And that has been concluded last week on the 24th of March. And only at that moment between uh, December and March, I was negotiating together with my shadows. But um, yes, the the Digital Markets Act will change profoundly how um, authorities can deal with digital gatekeepers, with digital markets. And I would say that the key is that, first of all, we avoid bureaucracy because we focus that legislation only on the biggest companies that are posing the biggest problem. Um, And we, at the same time, change the burden of proof so that it's much easier in the future for authorities to go against these companies because it's not anymore the authorities that have to prove in a burdensome process that there is a dominance in a given market where the market has, first of all, to be defined and the markets change all the time. And then they have to check what practices are there and how they are misusing this dominance, that is gone. In the future, it will be up to the companies to prove that they are in compliance with the rules of Article 5 and 6 of the DMA, and that will make things much easier. As you mentioned, the DMA is only targeting uh, a few companies, but how many exactly do you expect will fall under the the scope of the DMA? Do Do you have a rough idea? During that process, we have several times thought what, what could be the scope, uh, what companies have at the moment the right size. What we can say, it's definitely the GAFAM or the GAMA companies, so all the biggest gatekeepers. And then there will be um, Booking, uh, TikTok, uh, Alibaba, and maybe some others in the future. But still, uh, we have to start with a definition. These companies that should be considered as gatekeepers have to have more than 10,000 business users, more than 45 million active end users, 
uh, they have to have a, a core platform service, which is a very strong um, element of digital service. And um, they have to have a, a size which goes far beyond what we have seen in the past. So 75 billion of uh, uh, euros of market capitalization. So we'll, you will see it in the stock markets index if they are in or if they're out or 7.5 billion of turnover per year. Also this you can check on, uh, I may say on Google. Um, and therefore you, it's quite transparent. You will see that and it changes therefore if companies if those companies that I've been mentioning remain very successful, um, if the capital markets, the shareholders uh, go up or down, and that is something to be followed, it's very difficult for the time being to exactly say who will be really in the scope um, beginning of 2023 when this regulation enters into force. So at the core of the DMA are a series of obligations for the so-called gatekeepers. If you can choose one of these obligations, which one do you think is the most important? Well, that's a very difficult question because to a certain extent, most of the rules in Article 5 and 6 come from existing case law, from existing legislation, or from existing experiences. So there are rules on opening of services to make them interoperable if other companies want to connect. A rule that we have been very successfully applying in the European Union uh, in the telecom sector, um, but also in the e-commerce and, and electronic communications um, um, services. So something which is not very new. Um, then there is um, plenty of um, um, rules that are linked to existing uh, case law on tying and bundling, on uh, opening by giving choice screens to consumers and to users. Um, the self-preferencing element, I think, is something new, but it's also based on the experience that we have seen with Google. Um, uh, then there is uh, the possibility of sideloading, which is an issue that we have been seeing from issues with Apple. Then there is the data combination that we have been seeing with Amazon and with Facebook. Um, and then there is the front principles that I wanted to be applied to all services. Because it's true that front is quite an, um, a difficult legal concept, but it's a concept that is not yet used in these areas and that can bring for the future um, a tool which opens for a fair assessment how companies should cooperate and what fair access conditions and pricing and remuneration uh, considers to be. Um, but that's a bit of the future-proof part of the DMA because most of the conditions in 5 and 6 are stemming a bit from existing experiences. And we will come to front later, but I just wanted to pick up uh, what you said on interoperability. Uh, there has been some criticism that these... Um, uh, interoperability of messaging services might, uh, in fact, downgrade security, especially in terms of encryption. How do you think this can be solved? Well, honestly, we have been um, relying uh, with this to the European Commission. The European Commission has said to us already at a very early stage that this is feasible. Um, and um, therefore, we were pushing for this very strongly. At the end of the negotiations, there were some doubts, most of all in relation to encryption. And it was clear that the European Parliament never, ever wanted to open services 
that are maybe unsafe or not perfectly encrypted. And therefore, uh, in uh, talks with the European Commission, we have then been deciding that we should better make sure that encryption is um, in any event 100% secured. And therefore, we have given more time to the European Commission to figure this out. And therefore, there will be two steps. Um, at the beginning of the entry into force, there will be an, a, a possibility for companies that want to connect with gatekeepers interoperability, uh, um, interoperable NIICS services to go for one-to-one -one communication. And then in a second step, two years later, there will be also uh, the possibility for group chats. And that at a later stage, four years later, there will be also the opportunity to add documents and, 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 and content to the specific messages. The European Commission has said that this is needed uh, to make these, um, these services uh, that might then be op interoperable really safe and encrypted. In the final text, uh, it was agreed that uh, front terms will be extended to search engines and social media. What does this mean for business users? First of all, we have to go back. The European Commission had proposed that the front principles should be applicable to app stores. Um, and uh, I think that was a, a great idea. In my report, I have said, uh, and I've got also the support of the parliament on that, that in fact, the front principles should be applicable to all core platform services. Because what is today an issue with app stores can be tomorrow an issue um, uh, with um, the Estonian language on um, Alexa or can be an issue um, with a, uh, another service, another core platform service in another area. So um, these services, that is the main idea of the DMA, have to key, be kept open, not for free all the time, but they, they are, as they are core platform services from gatekeepers, they have a dominant role and therefore there has to be some degree of openness. So we wanted the parliament and you know the vote was quite large and strong, we wanted this to be applied to all core platform services. However, this has not been um, fully supported by council and commission because they've said that might be too complex to be applied and for us too difficult to be um, executed. Um, and then we have uh, said that we should um, enlarge this concept at least to a few other um, core platform services. And we were speaking about um, social media, search, um, and marketplaces. And um, unfortunately, in the end, in the negotiations, we couldn't continue to defend the marketplaces because there was too much resistance by member states. Um, but at least we could secure um, the app stores that were there by, in the commission proposal and social media and uh, search. And I think it's, it's very good that at least in these areas, we can try to figure out what fair, reasonable, and non-discriminatory approaches on um, the cooperation between gatekeepers and um, referring uh, services um, would mean and would look like. Uh, still on front, there was this uh, last-minute amendment put forward by the European Commission that related to the remuneration of online content. Um, this was pushed back by MEPs and we have heard some strong words from uh, the Social Democrats and the Green Party. Can, can you give us an idea of how things played out in the trilogue? You know that the trilogue is first and foremost an exercise between the Parliament and the Council. And as the leading negotiator for the Parliament, I have been very clearly defending our mandate 
And this mandate has also been defended by our chairwoman. Um, and we were united that we want CPS, all CPSs, in the scope of front. Um, therefore, we haven't liked the approach of the council um, and the commission already on beforehand when they said this cannot be applied to all CPS. And uh, therefore, there were some discussions and some proposals on beforehand, but I have never given uh, too much on these proposals because we wanted to defend our um, amendment, our mandate, and that was foreseeing that there should be a general approach based on friend principles on how gatekeepers and other business or end users um, have to come to um, an alignment um, when balancing the different interests. And there are now examples from app stores. There, there are examples from content in search engines. Um, and I could now go with some um, examples. But for example, if on Google, um, your website, you're active, even though you make articles that correspond 100% to searches of users and would not figure there, would not be visible there, uh, that would not be fair, that would not be um, reasonable, and it would not be uh, non-discriminatory. And therefore, you should have a standing to say, listen, we have made an article about the DMA um, with explaining exactly um, about um, um, self-preferencing. And although I type self-preferencing, DMA, you're active, I don't find my article. And that's unfair and that doesn't work with front. And therefore, you should have a standing on this, first of all, to get your article there. Now, it's very difficult to um, reflect here about at what place should it be. Um, should it be first? Should it be second? That is probably too complicated. But if you are not even having the right to access, although you are a, a European platform um, that has uh, knowledge on that, um, that would be just against the front principles. That's the first step. But if you are with your content then reaching out to um, uh, millions of users um, uh, and you have uh, conditions, for example, that the, the advertisement that you have around your article on your active uh, would be ignored or would be outmaneuvered by, by the search engine or by a, um, a social media platform, you would definitely say, but this is part of your business um, concept. And if they want to keep the content, they have also to keep the surrounding. So I, I would like to conclude here. Front is an open principle. I cannot uh, decide exactly how courts and the commission will apply it. But definitely the principle of the parliament was and always should be that front is there for everyone uh, and not only for a few, and that the front principles are uh, of mutual interests and the fair balance of these interests. And therefore, um, I'm not perfectly satisfied with the outcome, um, but I think that we have been managing together a, a fair deal and, and now it should be enshrined. Moving on to the enforcement. You have been putting pressure on the commission with a letter in February insisting that at least uh, 220 uh, full-time staff should be dedicated uh, to the DMA task force. What is the status of this discussion? Because we are hearing, you know, uh, bits and pieces of information. Yeah, yesterday, Breton said that they look for hiring 100, 120 people. Uh, can, can you tell us anything on this? Well, I would love to tell you that we have been reaching the following result and that it will be done like this and like that. But unfortunately, I have to tell you that within the DMA negotiations, 
there were only talks um, around, but not part of the negotiations on how this will be implemented in um, stuffers, in numbers um, with the European Commission. And um, therefore, I have written already some weeks ago to the French presidency of the council, asking them for the deployment of 220 new stuffers. Um, I haven't got an answer yet. Um, and for sure, this is part of the budgetary procedure. You can imagine that the European Commission at the time would also like to have more people on the Brexit task force, would need more people uh, working out the Green Deal. Um, and uh, therefore, there is a choice to be made within Commission services, but there is also a choice to be made with the Council and the Member States, because I have always said, if Ma Emmanuel Macron is right by arguing that Europe is stronger together, there can be no doubt that if uh, this stronger uh, communication and cooperation um, at EU level will then also need some changes to be done at national level. If uh, the enforcement of European rules is done only by the European Union in areas where beforehand there were also member states officials, then obviously there has to be a shift also in personnel from member states to the European Commission. And therefore, member states have to make a step there. And I'm also in touch with people that are doing the negotiations for the budget to push um, the parliament, but also uh, the council to move on this. How self-enforcing do you expect the DMA uh, will be? Do you expect a lot of uh, court cases? There are a lot of things that could get challenged, in fact. Uh, for instance, the designation process, the obligation, even, even the way the Commission approaches the regulatory dialogue. Well, if there are uh, rules, um, there will always be arguments about how these rules have to be applied. Um, and if there are these arguments, there will always be court involved. But I think that gatekeepers have the chance now, especially also with the implementation process that will take some time, uh, to accept what the European Union has decided and to apply these rules as far as they are reasonably uh, done. And I think that we have invested a lot of time in making all the areas reasonable and proportionate. There can be some questions for sure. I mean, we have just been addressing front. Uh, front is a very complex concept. You cannot say it's like this or like that. There will be courts that will have to decide about that. Gatekeepers will have a disagreement with what the commission is proposing. Um, and therefore, we should wait for, uh, for cases. Self-preferencing is another one. I mean, for sure, there might be cases where self-preferencing um, might be uh, something which is not harmful. Um, there might be other cases where it's very clearly very harmful. And, and therefore, we should trust the Commission um, to make this a, a fair process. But we should also push gatekeepers to take this task very seriously. I personally believe that if they challenge uh, the designation process, um, they will f have a very, very strong standing in the next 20 years in Europe. They will not anymore like their job. So the designation will definitely, from my point of view, the wrong place to challenge. But the regulatory dialogue and the explanation how they apply the rules of five and six will for sure take a lot of uh, time. And I think gatekeepers should invest the money that they normally pay to lawyers there to speak to the European Commission and to explain and to argue how they best in the interest of users and clients and uh, consumers and also their businesses that work there, how they can best implement this. And I'm sure that there will be always flexible ways found to make out of these rules the best for the European digital single market.
earlier this week you you um, voiced concerns that uh, the implementation timeline is is too long. To what sort of timeline are we looking at, and uh, is there anything that can be done to speed, speed this up? Well, uh, we will have now to await for the vote in plenary, probably in July. Um, then there will be some time to put it into the official journal. Let's imagine the 1st of o October. Then there are 20 days after the publication when it enters into force. And then from the 20th of October, there will be six months of um, um, time of, of months to, for the entry into force. That will mean that on the 20th of April, it's operable. Then there will be the commission starting or already uh, finalizing the designation process. They will have prepared all the, the slides from the stock markets, uh, from public accessible information um, about um, elements like uh, um, market capitalization, um, turnover, business users, uh, active end users. Um, they will have some, made some sort of assessment what core platform services we have at the moment. And then they have 45 days normally, 45 working days. That means two months to go for the designation. In case they need more time for specific elements of the market, they can have even five months more. So in the worst case, it would mean that we are not only the 20th of June, but uh, even um, the, the 20th of November 2023. And from that moment onwards, after the designation being finalized, the gatekeepers will have six months to implement these rules. Um, and that would mean that at the latest, um, the gatekeepers designated um, in that process, in a, in a slow process, would have to apply the rules the 20th of May 2024. For us, that seemed always a bit awkward because only then starts the regulatory dialogue. And um, as we know that the European elections are in May 2024 and, and we are waiting for these laws since years I remember at the beginning that we have been going for that resolution already in 2014. This is quite uh, an awful lot of time. It's true that member states may have to adapt their laws. It's true that the Commission may to have to do some um, delegated acts. It's true that the Commission will have to go for the designation process with calm. But still, um, we would have loved to have that ready by the 1st of this, uh, January 2024. Um, now, let's see um, how it plays out. Um, we should always be positive in the life. There was no chance to change the council position on this. And uh, I think we have achieved as a parliament a lot on making the DMA future-proof, balanced and strong. And therefore, in such a deal, you have also to make some concessions. If you could go back, is there anything you would change in how you approach this file? Well, I think it has gone quite well. Um, it would have been better for sure if the process in the Commission would have, bit, uh, would have been a bit faster. Um, uh, unfortunately, we have lost some time in the Parliament with the designation of the right committee. Um, but I have to tell you that my colleagues in the Internal Market Committee have done an, an amazing job. Also, the, the, the colleagues that we are working in the uh, opinion-giving uh, committees, we have been very united. Um, we have been very precise uh, and therefore I think procedural wise it would have been difficult to be faster. Also on, um, um, on the shadows negotiations before the voting committee there has been a high level of, of understanding that, that the challenge is big. Um, we have been uh, figuring out very well how to make sure that the combination of data is something that will be kept in the DMA in case there is something in the DSA not going well. 
We have uh, the interoperability mechanism where we wanted to go going a bit faster and further, but um, we have at least secured now the number independent and intercommunication, interpersonal communication services. And, um, and also on the rules in five and six, uh, I think on transparency of advertising, we have foreseen already the procedure that the commission has done now uh, in competition policy um, infringement against Google and Facebook. We have done um, a lot. So I, I don't know what we could have done better. In any event, we are now here. And I think our message is clear. We should now get on with it. Andrea Schwab is the European Parliament's Rapporteur for the Digital Markets Act. Thank you again, Andreas, and congratulations. That's all we got time for this week. Don't forget to sign up to our free Digital Brief newsletter to receive a comprehensive overview on all things digital in the EU and beyond. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, published on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Amazon Music. I'm Gianluca Bertuzzi, and thank you for listening.